Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to Setting the Pace, your go-to Pacers podcast with Alex Golden and Michael Focci. Ball loose. Stevenson for three. Give me one, Lance. Stevenson ties it with 1.6. Duarte, he knows where the clock is, lets it fly and hits again. Halliburton at the buzzer. Captain Kutch with another one. Brogdon goes inside and Turner finishes. Halliburton leaves it off for Batase. Go, go. Good job. Oh, what a move by Heald. He lays it in. Heald. Hotter than fish grease. Dropped it off to Jalen Smith with the poster. Jackson the catch. Jackson the basket. Washington again. Five of them. Pacers got the steal. Outrunning his Brissett. Outs it all. It's it to Taylor. Taylor missed it. Tips it in. Warren lets it fly. Yes! T.J. Warren is not human. Halliburton going to slam it at the other end. All right, everybody. We are back for part two of the Mailbag Podcast. Fachi, what's going on, brother? Nothing much. I'm excited to deliver these letters. We got mail for days. <laughs> All right. You want to start this one off with Ricky's question? Absolutely. Ricky, we appreciate you. He said, honestly, I'm fired up about getting Ivy, but also my ears perked up on, on the last pod about Paul Bancaro. What do you all think of his game and how would it look with Tyrese? All right. I got to be a, really honest with you here, Ricky. I haven't watched a ton of Bancaro's game. I'm going to dive into more NBA draft prospect stuff as the season concludes. But from what I've seen, what I've heard, I think they fit well together. I think Boncaro, I've talked about it before, has a great body, has a great fit. I mean, he is going to be adapting to what the Pacers want to do. But I think the Pacers have long desired someone with that size and that build. So I think that, you know, that could be a good fit. But I want to see him improve overall as a three-point shooter and just continue to grow as a player. But I think with his intangibles, you have to feel like the ceiling is very high for him. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, long story short, I think he's probably most likely to be an all-star out of anyone in this draft. I, I do very much believe in Jay Ivey, but strictly talking about Bancaro here, I think he's got a fantastic NBA frame. 6'10", 250. Uh, I think that he's someone that with a, a long March Madness run, I think he could end up pushing himself to potentially number one overall. Uh, I think Jabari Smith could have a, a little bit of a higher ceiling just due to his shooting ability. That's the one thing that I want to see Ben Carroll, you know, grow with. But I, I think that he would absolutely fit great with Tyree Talbert. And I look forward to watching even more of his game. Our next question from Shalomar the God said, the Celtics have been the biggest story in the East since their defense rounded into form. Do you think that they are one piece away from being a problem late in the playoffs? Yeah, I think this is finally like the Celtics team that we kind of expected the last few seasons. Last year was definitely a, a solidly down year for them. I thought it was an underrated move to bring back Al Horford. I feel like he's just been a, a great, like, you know, on-court coach. Uh, I like the Derek White trade, but I also feel like he needs to step it up. I feel like they've been searching for, like, true stable point guard play. Like, yes, Marcus Smart's good at what he does, but, like, you're looking for more of a distributor. So I feel like when you have Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, 
two absolute studs, it would be stupid to break up that pairing. We just got to find someone that can actually maximize those two players. Yeah, this is another team I think Brogdon can make some sense on here. I too. agree with that. Just because of his shooting ability, where I don't think Marcus Smart is necessarily the offensive player that Malcolm Brogdon is. But yeah, this is a great question. I, I like the Celtics. I think watching the Pacers kind of destroy them on Sunday, you know, made me think that, okay, I don't know if I think they're as deep as some of the top tier teams like potentially Philly, Milwaukee, Miami, and uh, Brooklyn, right? Uh, the teams that have all been kind of projected to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. But hey, this team will go as far as Jason Tatum takes him. I think he is a special, special player. I really like how Brad Stevens has kind of retooled this roster. And if you look at it, it's very interesting. He's brought back a lot of former guys that he coached via trade, um, even via free agency before the season started. Now, some of those players didn't work out. Enos Freedom is the main one I'm talking about here. Um, but but Brad realized like, hey, you know, Danny Ainge made all these trades and uh, I'm going to go back and get my guys. So got back Al Horford, Daniel Tice, those kind of players. And then they went out and got, like you said, Derek White. So I like the make with this team and I think that they're going to be good moving forward. But uh, like you said, probably one piece away from really being a problem late in the playoffs. Yep. So next we got Walter Lambert on Twitter. He said, do you think Carlisle is stealth tanking by putting the ball in Brogdon's hands repeatedly? while also trying to increase his offseason trade value. I see no other valid reason to not turn over the team to Halliburton right now as the lead guard. You're a smart man, Walter. Um, I don't necessarily know if he's stealth tanking, but I think at the same point, he's allowing Brogdon to kind of showcase his abilities and just basically accepting the results as, as is, right? So if they win, awesome. If they lose, whatever. If they win and Brogdon's part of it, that helps his trade value. If they lose... But Brogdon was the guy going down the stretch, you know, you're, you're allowing him to like, whatever, build his case up for why he could want to be traded. But yeah, um, you know, and Halliburton, sometimes he's just not aggressive enough. So Halliburton might just be falling in line because he knows Brogdon's a veteran on this team and maybe he's taking somewhat of a backseat to him. But at the end of the day, um, they're, they're not calling a ton of offense. They're just kind of a calling a set. And I think that they're trying to allow the guys on the court to figure out, um, who's in control of what but I do think when they came out of an uh, uh after timeout play we saw Brogdon initiate the offense but it actually was to get Halliburton open and then he created and found a wide open three for Jalen Smith in the corner but he missed it so um they're just playing off each other but I think a lot of it has to do with just getting Brogdon's stock up for the offseason I'm calling Carlisle the stealthiest tanker in all the land all right <laughs> you know I have friends texting me and say man the Pacers stink this year and I'm like you fool, you have no idea what the plan is. It's going as accordingly, and it's going great. Look, I think Carlisle is getting up Brogdon's trade value. I mean, no doubt about it. I think he's done a great job with that. I think that there are times that, you know, once draft picks become far more, you know, where we can see where we're going, I think we'll see, you know, Malcolm probably miss a little bit of time or guys a little bit in and out of the lineup. But I'm with you. This needs to become Halliburton's team. You know, it wouldn't be the, the, the craziest thing if Brogdon's on next year's opening day roster, but maybe moved at the deadline. But it just feels like there's no way this man's finishing out this, this the remaining three years on his deal in Indiana. I got you. I got you. And I agree with you. So let's move on to Chris Weech at Chris Aprod. He said, how do we look at the LeVert trade if the Cavaliers miss the playoffs and keep their pick this year? So, Alex, I tried to find some stuff. I, I don't see something where it's like, this pick then becomes top 10 protected or it goes to two second rounders or maybe it would just convey next year uh, with the same type of protections. I, I don't know if there's like a loophole where if the Cavs, you know, end up not making the playoffs, they keep their pick overall. 
I can't mm-hmm. find anything like that. But here's the thing. I know the Cavs are are falling. They're, they're, they're in quite a bit of a rut. But also, like, Lavert's out. You know, some people might not be the, that big of a surprise. But he's coming back soon. I think they're going to rack up some wins over here. They're going to be a playoff team. And the best part is, is that that could end up meaning that maybe they finish with the 15th or the 16th overall pick, whatever it is. I, I just think that the Pacers are going to get that pick and that they're not going to continue this, tre- this trend and just free fall because the bottom of the East, it's gross. Yeah, no, it's it's tough. I, I couldn't find it either. I'm, uh, I'm messaging somebody now. And so maybe uh, by the end of this episode, you will get an answer from me, Chris, and I will circle back to that if we get that. But, um, you know, I think if I think the Cavs will still make it. I don't think any team, you know, outside of Brooklyn is really better than them. But they've been so good all year long. They're just they just got to get healthy. And I think Levert's been out for a little bit, Fox, if yep. I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So yes. uh just, you know, kind of shows you why the Pacers were ready to move on from him. So I think all in all, it's a good deal, regardless, just because you got off the salary and that pick will have to convey into something important eventually. So exactly. uh, you know, even if it's not this year, honestly, it could be better next year. You never know. So and, and here's the thing: look, we saved about 18.8 million dollars. That's what was owed with Levert. You also got what's now the 31st overall pick, which the Rockets own. Oh, well, they, they did. Now we'll own it. Um, and then also by getting LaVert off, I mean, that might help us get that top five pick. So even if we don't get the Cavs pick this year, I still think the trade worked out. But obviously I want that pick and I want it as high as possible. Let me get that 15th, 16th overall if we're lucky. Yeah, for sure. Let's go to our next question, Fachi. All right. Next question, we have Elliot Beaver. He said... Who all is back by the start of next season between Brogdon, Heald, Turner, Warren, and McConnell? Also, how many wins do you believe they end with this season? How many wins are they at now? 22? Yep. 22 and 43 is the record at this exact moment. I'll say 29. I'll say 29 wins for this season. And I'm going to say that Heald and Turner are back for the start of next season with the potential of McConnell out of those five you mentioned. Yeah, 29. 29 probably seems accurate. I don't think that we're going to, you know, I don't think that we're going to break 30. Let's see. Count it up. <laughs> got, 16, a got 16 games. No way the Pacers are going 8-8. Eight and eight. So, you know. That's I, why I said 7-9. Yeah, and, it, it, and that's, that seems good. I'll go I'll go one less than you. I'll say that they, they finished with 28 wins. Okay. Um, 28 wins. It's gross, but it's what we need. All right. $10 um, bet. $10 bet. Hey, all right, let's do it. Let's all right, do I it. Got you. you guys I got heard you. it first. Um, look, so I, I would say 28 wins. Uh, I think that Brogdon, I think that, uh, I, man, I'm torn on Brogdon. Cause I feel like even if he comes back on opening day, I think he's dealt the deadline because you don't know what, what shape this team will be in. And I think that people will be interested in Brogdon. He'll healed returns. I'm saying Turner's gone. Last year of his wow, contract. Wow, Turner's gone? Last year of his contract, it's just, I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. All right, then, I think he's the most likely to stay out of all of them. So, I mean, it very well could happen. It very well could. So here's what I'm going to say. I'm going to say Brogdon returns, Heald returns, Turner's gone, McConnell's gone, and Warren returns on a one-year deal. Okay, yeah. Honestly, I think Warren probably does return, like you said, more than McConnell. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go. Warren returns. I'm changing my answer. You convinced right. me. I'm there saying heel Turner and Warren return. McConnell and Brogdon are gone, and that's how I feel. Okay, let's move on to our next question here, Fachi. This comes from at Ed Lawley on Twitter, the source ninety four. He said, "What is one concern about Jaden Ivy that Pacer Nation should take note of?" 
One thing that I noticed is he's become very streaky from a three-point standpoint lately. I went through like his last 14 games of the season, which in college is like basically half the year, and he's shooting 28% from three. So uh, over that stretch, he's still shooting like, I think it's like 37% on the year. Uh, And also I watched the majority, I'd say three-fourths of the recent IU-Purdue game hoping to get me like some vintage Jaden Ivey, and it was a tough game. He was 2 of 11, actually had more turnovers than baskets made, and just two assists. But there's a lot to love about his game. You asked me to pick out something that could be, you know, questionable. And he's also had a gazillion great games. So I think I just picked a bad game. But the three-point streakiness, I've definitely seen it uh, drop off. Yeah, I think it could be a little bit inconsistent, a little bit streaky with his shot. Um, Unfortunately, he doesn't have the greatest handle all the time, can be a little bit turnover-prone. Personally, for me, if you want to criticize him, you can find plenty of flaws in his game to criticize. But part of that's just being a young guard. And I think also part of it is knowing that you're going to be a top four draft pick and the upcoming draft and just not giving it 110% in college. Whether you agree with that or not, I'm not saying he's not trying, but you can just tell that there's probably some times where he takes plays off that, you know, he wouldn't if he were like pick 25 trying to raise the stock. He knows that he's going in this top four of this draft, but you know, probably no doubt about it. So that to me is why I think you you get this a lot from some guys too, some some freshmen as well. They don't give it 120% just because they already know they're going to be out of here by the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, hey, hopefully Jaden doesn't hear that. You know, that man's <laughs> got quite a motor, but you know, look, we, we had to pick out something over there. So uh, it'll be interesting. But next question we have uh, on Twitter, Corey, a.k.a. Um, well, at Dennis Rodzilla. Hey. He said, long-time <laughs> listener, and apologies if this has already been asked, but do you think the Pacers will consider bringing back Edmund Sumner next year? I think they consider it, but I would say, you know, there's probably a lesser chance that he comes back than he doesn't. I think the Pacers will look into it. I don't think that Sumner is going to have this crazy market for a guy coming off of an Achilles tear who, you know, hasn't proven that much. But what you can definitely say is that this man was on the rise. He was getting better and better. I know he's done a bunch of his rehab in Indiana. I've seen him still wearing Pacer clothes in his rehab videos. The Pacers are going to, you know, they have a young team. I feel like he fits the young core over there. But I think also rightfully so, he'll go to the highest bidder given that, you know, he hasn't gotten that first real contract. But I do think there's going to be mutual feelings about a reunion that I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers look into it. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point you could probably convince yourself to pick him over a Dwayne Washington Jr. or a Keeper yes, Sykes. Definitely. So there's always that. But let's take a quick break. Fachi will uh, finish the second half of these questions right after this. All right, from Pacers Faithful, uh, assuming the Pacers end up with the fifth pick where they have the highest odds, what is each of your ideal scenarios for what they do with all three picks can include trade, drafting specific players, et cetera? All right, fifth overall. Can you draft Jaden Ivey oh, if he's still there? If it ends up, if he ends up going fourth overall, look, I'm probably swinging for the fences with Shaden Sharp. Might not feel great about it, but I gotta swing for the fences. Um, then also, when you're looking at, you know, you, you got you got your other picks. You got your 19, 31, and 60 as of right now. Hear me out over here. So a little trade option. Portland currently is slated for the ninth and tenth overall pick, but they want to win now. Would you tell me? Would perhaps the 19th 31st and Miles Turner be a deal that you would do for perhaps 10th overall and maybe Nazir Little. Mm. 
Probably not. Probably okay. not. All right. All right. Uh, it's you know, not they, bad though. It's not. It's not bad. It's not great because you're also talking about Turner's on an expiring deal. So that's the thing over there is, hey, if you're going to make a trade, where can you maximize the value? Getting the fifth and tenth overall pick has massive potential. Anyway, going over next, then you could always look to package 19 and 31, try and get up to 14. Maybe you take back a contract in there, like someone that's not too bad, but, you know, a, a, a team that's looking to get off, you know, a deal that has maybe two years left on it. Um, if you can get over to 14, Nikola Jovic, someone that, you know, you've got me excited about. So, you know, I, I'm intrigued. If we're taking Jaden Ivey early on, like I mentioned last episode, there's far too many good two guards that I don't want to start just loading up on two guards. Now, all of a sudden, Duarte can't really develop as we hoped. I also don't see the Pacers using three to four draft picks in this draft. It yeah. feels like a lot. And then when you look at other trade partners, look, the Thunder own too many future first round picks. I don't think they're trying to collect like the 31st or like the 19th and stuff like that. But if you look at the Pistons, say the Pistons are picking third overall, would you do something like fifth, 19th and 31st or fifth and 19 and whatever you got to do to move up two spots? I think I would. Yeah. I just don't think the Pistons are going to move out of the top four. You know, you got to think about what teams would be willing to move out of the top four. And that's why you probably want a team like Sacramento to get in there potentially. Um, because, you know, you've already traded with them before. They'd be more willing to maybe trade for a player on your team that could help them now. Like, I could see them really being intrigued by, like, a Brogdon or something like that, you know, just if that's what it would take, right? I'm not saying they would want anybody else really on our roster based on who we have that's available to really trade. So there's all those different scenarios there. But, um, you know, if the Spurs move up, I think you could trade with them as well. They've got some potential guys that I think um, – or guys on our team they could potentially be interested in if they're trying to win. But – Ultimately, you got to look at this from just uh, taking a step back. What makes the most sense for the team you're trading with? And that's why the Pacers really just have to get lucky and get in this top four if they really want something special. Um, but I think OKC would be a team that's willing to trade back, not for more picks this year. That's why I've thrown out the idea of the pick for next year. So that's what I would do, Fachi, if we're at five. I'm trading with OKC. I'm trading picks five and uh, the 2023 first round pick. And then for pick number 19, I'm, I'm probably keeping that pick at 19 and selecting the best player overall there at that point. I'd probably take a swing at a guy like Patrick Baldwin Jr., EJ Liddell, and, you know, one of the guys you also brought up, Wendell Moore. I think all mm -hmm. those guys could be really intriguing. And then with pick 60, I'm probably trading that for cash, <laughs> you know, just to yeah. be real with you. Or if you find a guy that's late because, look, there's only 58 picks this year because the Bucks and I believe – the the heat lost yep. those picks mm -hmm. they had to forfeit them so because of their tampering situation there um so i would uh i would definitely just take uh a draft and stash type of player and put them away overseas um if i'm not able to sell the pick okay not bad at all uh next question on twitter we had bs express he said most likely asked already but does malcolm remain if we are able to get ivy in the draft and with what we know now minus the draft who are starting five next year and first five off the bench? So I'm assuming Brogdon is gone in this scenario, and we're just building our five off the bench and starting. So I will go basic here. I'm going to say starting lineup is Halliburton, Duarte, O'Shea Brissett, TJ Warren, and Miles Turner. Off the bench, we're going to go with, uh, this is a tough one here, uh, TJ McConnell. Then we're probably going to go with Buddy Heald. And at small forward, I have no idea at this point. Maybe Lance, based on who we have on the roster now. 
and then Isaiah Jackson and are you bringing back Jalen Smith? Hopefully. So I'll say Jalen Smith just to give a cop out. Yeah. No, I mean, look, this is, did I miss I anybody? Mean, uh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, our draft pick is, is Jaden well, Ivey. Did they the say the draft? They, they said minus the draft. Uh, oh, I, I don't know. He basically, he said, you know, uh, he said, if we, does Malcolm remain, if we're able to, to get Ivy in the draft. So he's got to be in there somewhere. Okay, well, if Ivy's in there, obviously, put Ivy in the starting lineup, put O'Shea on the bench, and then probably get rid of Lance in that back five. Yeah, look, it's tough. I would say, say we take Ivy. I'm going Halliburton, Ivy, and then it's it's either Buddy Heald or Chris Duarte, depending on what you're going to do there. Duarte, um, come on now. I mean, look, trust me, I would Bro, like Duarte there. But what do you mean, come on? Tell Rick that. I mean, yeah, you're the Buddy lover. I, I, so is Rick, clearly. He's starting <laughs> in the lineup. I didn't want Duarte to ever go back to the bench. Then all of a sudden you're looking at the four. It's like if TJ Warren's back, I do think we're going with Warren and then Turner, if Turner's on the team, of course. And then you're looking at the bench, you know, you're, you're talking about if if it's if it's not Duarte, then it's Buddy Heald, whatever. Vice versa between Duarte and Heald, O'Shea, Isaiah Jackson, you know. Then from there, I mean, it really is, – is McConnell still on the team? You know, who knows? Like Jalen Smith, it sounds like he's probably gone. Like I hope Terry Taylor's still in the fold. Like – there's Lance, I don't know. Keeper's gone. Goga's got to go. And then you're also talking about $25 million plus in cap space that we could bring in someone. So the bench is, is a bit hard to predict outside of perhaps like a Buddy or Chris Duarte or O'Shea. Like yeah, I, I feel that. We're going to move on now. Reggie Miller's finger sleeves said, since Fachi won't declare Tyrese the next CP3, let's try a different comp. Halliburton could be more like Steve Nash. Both pass-first guards that are highly efficient scorers and better off-ball defenders than on. Compare his current season to Nash's in 2001. Look, Reggie Miller's finger sleeve. I, I knew if I compared Halliburton to CP3, the floodgates were going to be open, and I would never be able to go back to reality. So uh, I love the comparison that you used. I looked into Steve Nash's 2001 season. First of all, the model for a point guard is like Steve Nash because you saw what he did once he went to Phoenix. He, he honestly changed the game at that point. Uh, but when you look into specific that 2001 season, he averaged 17.7 points, 7.7 assists, shot 48% from the field and 45% from three. Uh, he was also 27 years old in that season. Halliburton, he's 21. This season, he's averaging 15 points, the same exact amount of assists at 7.7. He's shooting 46%, and he's shooting 41% from three on more attempts per game. So when you look at it, it's crazy to actually say Tyrese Halliburton is ahead of where Steve Smith, uh, Steve Nash was at that point, but also he's six years younger. So I, I, love, the, I love what Halliburton's got going on, but it's also very tough to, to compare Tyrese Halliburton and Steve Nash, because you're talking about two-time MVP. You're talking about a Hall of Famer. But I do think that from a number standpoint, Halliburton's going to get there. He really is. I know where we live in a, a very, you know, numbers don't mean what they used to back then. But I do think that Halliburton can be a guy averaging double-digit assists. We know he's efficient. So I like that comparison. All right, answer me this. Overrated, underrated, underrated, properly rated. Steve Nash. I'm going to say underrated. I really am. How can a two-time MVP be underrated? I just think that when, when, when it's like you're talking about the best point guards ever, his name's never going to come up. And what I don't do. Think, what did he do? I mean, he didn't win a championship, but I think that he completely changed with a fast style offense. When you talk about the seven seconds or less, 
offense that the Suns ran, I feel like teams like the Warriors later on ended up copying that style so much. People weren't doing that. And I just think that Steve Nash was a guy that, I mean, he was, he made, he got everybody paid. So, you know. I, I love Steve Nash as a kid watching him, but I think that he's probably a little bit overrated, to be honest with you. Ooh, okay, okay. So I was just kind of curious where you thought there. I mean, I think he's more properly rated than he is overrated or underrated probably, but uh, just for devil's advocate's sake, I think that he's potentially a little bit more overrated because I think he probably shouldn't have won back-to-back MVPs. Let's just be honest. Uh, I think uh, that- he, should, he should not have. There was one no. year he beat out Shaq that was like, a bit surprising and the numbers that he put up like offensively from a scoring standpoint i don't think we're ever going to see an mvp do that again i think he averaged yeah. like like 13 or 14 points that year yeah for sure we got four questions left here fachi let's knock them out you're up next all right coming up next we have on uh on reddit uh it's pronounced gethsemane gethsemane it's uh gethsemane, gethsemane is, a, is the garden where judas betrayed jesus so and i love how he put don't read that which i absolutely had to read it otherwise i was going to pronounce it wrong uh he said i've started to hear a few people bring up the idea of a starting lineup of isaiah jackson and miles turner together going into next year we just tried a two-center lineup and failed is it worth another shot at the older two big lineup or go modern nba yeah we talked about this on part one so i'll just kind of reiterate what i said there you know I think it's a great point. It's really valid because, look, Jackson hasn't proven that he's a great shooter yet. But I still think just because of their athleticism, it's a totally different dynamic than Domas and Miles together. So um, I like the idea. I think Jackson's more of a four than Domas was. So this is where it's a little bit easier. I think he can switch one through five and guard anybody. Um, Has a great ability to, to block jump shots, but he also has the inexperience that that you know Sabonis probably had playing a lot of basketball overseas before he played here then playing at Gonzaga and stuff like that so you know honestly I think that one thing Isaiah's got to work on if he wants to continue to get a lot of minutes is just staying down on the ground there's so many times he tries to block shots and he leaves his feet too early and gets in foul trouble so that's one thing where he's going to get better but I think you know they they did do some different things there against the Magic instead of switching everything they started to drop a little bit and play more drop coverage. I think that's one way that Isaiah Jackson can just be a little bit different is just continuing to get that experience next to Miles. And I think Miles will help him as a defender if they play together some, but I don't want to see a lot of minutes there together for those two. Yeah, look, Isaiah Jackson, I think, is going to continue to develop. I'm very excited to see that development. Like we talked about recently, (laughs) expectations where he wasn't even really supposed to play this year. So what we're seeing now is a true bonus. I wanted to see Turner and Isaiah Jackson together this year like the remaining 30 games i was really hoping we would see a large enough sample size to know if it works the fact that we just came from a double big scenario i'm like i'm i'm scarred maybe it's too soon i feel like maybe i just got like broken up with and now all of a sudden i'm trying to get sucked into another relationship that quickly like it's i need a break man i'm more closely i'm more ready to go to like a three guard lineup than i am to go back to a double big lineup yeah, and now we have to figure out a name for Turner and Jackson together. So, I mean, that's not had, easy to do. We had Turbonus. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I don't know what we're going to call him. Jackner? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Man. I don't really know if I like that one. But uh, let's I do either. Let's uh, move on to our next question. This one says, Pay him, pay that man. Is it off base? Think Keegan Murray is the perfect draft pick for the Pacers. Strong two way potential, six foot eight, 225 pounds. Can score from anywhere on the floor. Sounds like a Carlisle wet dream. I find myself more excited about him as a prospect than Ivy Boncaro, et cetera. 
Keegan's a beast. Uh, look, that's what, if there's a scenario where the Patriots slide to, you know, like you mentioned, like that you know, five to eight range, but more I see him as like the six to eight, like seven, seventh overall pick. Uh, then I really like Keegan Murray because I do think that it is a position of need. If the Pacers, you know, are going to move over from Turner and you could slide Isaiah Jackson at center and Keegan Murray at power forward, I actually, I like that pairing. Keegan Murray offensively, very gifted, averaging over 23 points per game, eight and a half rebounds, two blocks per game. Also extremely efficient from the field, 56% from the field, 38% from three. So this guy, you can make an argument that he is being slept on. Maybe if Iowa makes a run, maybe he becomes more of a household name. He's a sophomore, so maybe he's a little bit more NBA-ready than some of the other guys over here. But offensively, he's a beast. Yeah, he'll be uh, 22 once he's uh, on the Pacers roster um, by the start of the season. His birthday is August 19, 2000. So definitely fits the same timeline here as Tyrese Halliburton, who just turned 22, right? So I could see them going that route if they were to land in that five to six range. I currently have Keegan Murray as number six on my top 10. Um, I've soured a little bit on Shade and Sharp just because, like Bachi and I always talk about, the mystery box is so unknown. Um, but no, I'm not more intrigued by him than Von Kerr or Ivy because he's clearly a tier below those guys in terms of overall talent and what a ceiling could be. But I think he's got a pretty high floor. And I think that could be somewhat enticing if the Pacers fall out of the top four and are unable to get, get into it, at least I should say, not necessarily, you know, fall out of it. But if they're unable to get into it, then I can totally see them being intrigued by Keegan Murray because he is a finished product to some degree, which not really finished, but a little bit larger sample size to kind of see what he is and uh, more of a ready now player than potentially some of the guys in the top four. So I think I have this as our last question. And tell me if I'm wrong. We have um, we have two questions left. We have Justin94. Or actually, we, we already answered that one. That one. Yep, so exactly. it's just fuzzy naval 34. My bad. Exactly. No worries. So he said, should we trade Brogdon this summer? And why is the answer yes? Well, there you go. That's a great way to wrap up the mailbag, Fachi. <laughs> that it is, but no, I mean, look, it's uh it, you could definitely have the debate. I think in, in this scenario. Look, Brogdon's he's a good player. He is. It's just like how many times are we going to go down the route of, of like knowing that a player is injured and hoping that they don't get injured. So I just feel like we've seen enough of Brogdon where like good player, we hoped when he came over that he could be like a borderline, maybe an all-star. But you know what? It just feels like he's not meant to be like the number two guy on, on a very successful team. And I just think at this point he would be more successful elsewhere. And just the youth, that's what I want to develop. I want to be developing guys like Halliburton and Chris Duarte who can start alongside each other or Jaden Ivey that start alongside each other for years to come. Do you trade Brogdon just to trade Brogdon? Look, you know, famous words by KP, we don't make a trade just to make a trade. But, you know, we got to find something good enough that we can get back. Do I need a full dollar-for-dollar dollar trade? No, but I am willing to take something that could be, whether it's a promising piece, whether it's, you know, a, a, a decent first round pick. I mean, what is, what would be your ideal Brogdon package? That's the lowest that you'd accept. Dude, that's a totally different question. I have no idea. I know. Um, that's the thing. I'm just asking like, really, but the whole thing is like, do you think if Brogdon's still here next season, that he is going to get into the way of the development of Tyrese Halliburton? I, I think do. there's, I think that's a big deal. I think that's a lot of it. While I while I would uh, like to see Brogdon and Halliburton be able to coexist together, I just don't 
think it's going to ever happen like we wanted to. Like we're already seeing a, a small sample size of it now when they play together. He's been more ball dominant. He shoots the ball more and he has the ball in his hands more, it feels like. So to me, it's like if you feel like he's going to stunt the growth of Tyrese as the you know primary ball handler, so to say, then I think you have to consider trading him. Um, even if it's like you said, you know, 80%, 80 cents on the dollar, just because, you know, you have to be able to move forward with this rebuild. And I just don't want it to be continued to be stagnated because we, we keep Brogdon too long. I completely agree. Look, if there is a Karis Levert type trade out there, I would do it. I mean, yeah. I, I really would because in that situation, the Pacers ended up saving quite a large sum of money, nearly $19 million. They got basically two first round picks. And I remember people laughed at us in the beginning. I had people saying the Cavs fleeced you. Well, if you look at it right now, I mean, I'm having the last laugh. And you know what? When I sent it to my friend, he didn't respond because he knew it was like, okay, you were wrong. Based on the direction of where we're going, that trade was perfect for us. Exactly. You know, some people that don't have a great pulse on what the fan base is doing or what the organization is doing, they're not going to be able to understand the trades that are made from a team perspective. And I think that goes for all of us that don't cover teams or, or watch teams closely to fully understand what's going on. But with that being said, that is the end of the mailbag. So thank you everybody for your questions. I guess we only had 28, not 29. So it ended up working out perfectly. Fachi, you got yourself a game to get to and some food to eat. So quickly tell the people where they can find us out on social media. All right, so you can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. You can find us on Facebook at SettingThePace. You can find us on TikTok at SettingThePace. And if you haven't already, make sure you give us a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. We also will appreciate all those that have left one on Spotify. And if you haven't already, take a screenshot of that, send it over to my email at alexgoldennba at gmail.com, and you'll be entered in to win one of our three prizes, Fachi, a hoodie, a Jermaine O'Neal autographed card, or a Tyrese, or not Tyrese, but a jersey of your choice uh, from, from us. So that's a really cool opportunity there for you. But Fachi, if you're excited, to finally be done with the mailbags, you can go eat some dinner. <laughs> Say these three words. Let's go Pacers! Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.